Welcome to Real Talk JavaScript, the weekly talk show with advice and insight into the technologies and practices currently being used to build web applications in the real world. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Wallen, and John Papa talk to industry experts about their experiences writing, deploying, and maintaining web applications in HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Real Talk JavaScript. This is episode 48, and it's 101 ways to host your web app with Dan and John. Dan, how's it going, man? It is going great, John, because you know what? I just saw Tom Brady selling his mansion in Massachusetts for $39.5 million. I'm, I'm thinking, what do you think, cash? I, I don't even know how to count that high, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm looking at that going, who's going to buy that freaking thing? Anyway, I'm totally distracted right now, as people can tell. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing great. 101 ways to be distracted with John and Dan. Which we just alienated, or I just alienated half the people. or No, way more than that, unless you're a Patriots fan. Right. Yeah, now, which is just wrong. I'm sorry. It, That's just exactly. wrong. Exactly. <laughs> you, you cannot win that much and still be a fan. It's just not right. Yeah, and Dan and I like the Arizona Cardinals and the New York Giants. So we we collectively had like one win last year, I think, <laughs> between our teams. <laughs> anyway, if you're not into football, sorry. Yeah, uh, sorry. That was my fault. So Dan and I were uh, figuring we'd do a podcast today, an episode to talk about all the different ways that you can deploy your websites. And while we won't cover all of them, uh, part of the pun on this title, 101 Ways, is that there's so many ways to do it. It's like, why would you choose some of these? Like, you know, throwing out like Docker containers. And, do, and then if you do that, do you use Kubernetes or not? And what kind of hosting platform and cloud platform do you use? Do you use functions? Do you use storage? Do you use app service? Where do I start, Dan? That is a good question. I, you know where I start is, first off, what are the needs of the company? And And I, as you know, John, we're both big fans of Keep It Simple. So... I start with what's the easiest static website host in, in the case of a front-end app. So yeah, let's limit it there, right? We're talking, let's start with, I just have an Angular Reactor view or just an HTML app. Yep. Let's start there. That's what you mean by static apps, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you've built your, uh, your view app, let's say, or your Reactor, Angular, whatever. You have your dist folder or whatever it's called. And yeah, for me... I think the easiest is, well, if you're internal in the company, you probably already have a web server. So in that case, it's dead simple. You can just deploy to your, you know, whether it's Apache or IIS or Nginx, maybe, whatever. Keep it simple. But if you're moving to the cloud, John, that kind of complicates things a little, right? It, it's like better, but yet worse because you have more decisions. Yeah, it's like. I don't know. Let's just say I've got some HTML or JavaScript and CSS put together and I want to host it somewhere. And then start thinking about, I just, I don't need a server, meaning I don't want to have to have Node or IIS or uh, anything else running because that adds cost and complexity, right? Yep, exactly. So if I just want to host just the files somewhere that's fast, I start thinking about, well, I could do Nginx, right? And you're a fan of Nginx. I mean, why don't you, for folks who don't know what it is, why don't you explain what that is? Yeah, so uh, Nginx, HA proxy, for those that haven't done them, they're, uh, they call them reverse proxies. And they're Nginx, I haven't used HA proxy in production, but Nginx I've used a ton. And uh, it's, it'll serve up, well, think of it as this. First off, it'll be the first point of contact in like even a dynamic web app. So let's say you're running Node.js on the back end. 
while you could expose Node.js directly, uh, normally the more robust sites out there will have you go through a reverse proxy. That would be on port 80 and 443. Probably it's going to be 443 anyway these days um, for your SSL. And then what that'll do is any static files, uh, and again, this would be like your, your dist folder for, say, uh, an Angular or Reactor view app. It would serve those up. Then, of course, any API requests, it would just forward to what they call upstream servers. And that would be you know, your, your Node, your Java, your ASP.NET, Ruby, Python, you know, whatever your backend is. So why would I do that as opposed to just hosting the files in like some storage site like S3 for Amazon or Azure Blob Storage for Azure? Why would I go like the Nginx route? And that is a good question. <laughs> <laughs> We've done that though. Both you and I have done it. So why, why would we do that? And you know, if, if I am trying to keep it as dead simple as possible, I think just going to a bucket or to uh, the static files option on Azure would be perfectly acceptable. I think that's actually not a bad way to go at all because it's like dead simple, right? I think it, it really comes down to, and I think this is now sort of outside the scope of just, you know, I'm a developer. And it kind of goes into the route of um, whoever is designing your overall, let's just call it app architecture. If, for example, you not only have APIs, but you have uh, a Redis cache, you have maybe microservices, you, you know, you have a really robust setup, mm -hmm. then having Nginx is great because now you have this single entry point to everything and then it can act as this reverse proxy for when it's not a static request. As I, as I mentioned earlier, it'll, it'll call the upstream node. And so now you're routing, well, at least once you hit the server, the Nginx server, your routing's kind of handled uh, internally with your Nginx. And you can route to these different upstream nodes. And if you have the, whatever the enterprise Nginx is, you can even <laughs> dynamically change those routes. That's the one where you got to pay some bigger dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The free one, you can't switch the config. Well, at least last I checked, you couldn't uh, switch the config like on the fly. You'd have to sort of restart the Nginx server. But anyway, the, the whole point is, if you just have a really simple setup and you have an Angular app and you have, let's say, a node, maybe Express uh, backend for your APIs, then yeah, I mean, there's no reason you couldn't just deploy the node app, uh, deploy to a bucket or to static files, and just call it a day. However, I'm going to argue with the more complex app, let's just call them more enterprise apps, uh, where you don't just have like one API, you have APIs and other APIs that are more global to multiple apps, and you know, the list goes on. That's, I think, where you start to consider a little more robust solution for this reverse proxy concept. Yeah, I, I wonder though, so before we get to reverse proxy, if we, if all we had was again, HTML and JavaScript and CSS, just static assets to load, loading it in S3 or Azure blob storage, which are just, you know, file servers effectively that you can access in the web in the cloud. Those places there are wicked fast, they're wicked cheap, and if you wanted to, you could still put a reverse proxy on top of them. You could still put SSL on top of them or custom domains or things like that. So it's not like limiting you from that at all. The only thing they really limit you from is you don't have a server. And the pro of that is that you're wicked fast, right? And or cheap. That, or that you don't have a server. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if there's no server, you're fast because it's file, it's file serving. Uh, it's cheap. There's no security issues because there's nothing to hack, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, the downside of that, though, is once you decide, 
well, well wait a minute, I need, uh, I need a node server or an ASP.NET server or something like that. Uh, then you've got to go build one and you still need a yeah. server somewhere anyway, right? Yep. So I think those are good options. I mean, what, when you've done that with static sites, have you used S3? Have you used Azure? Have you used something else? Yeah, so right now I'm actually using Nginx uh, for my stuff. And part of that we can talk about later is just because I use containers a lot. Mm-hmm. If I was not going to go the container route, and I'll have to be honest, when I started the container route, it was before, like in the Azure world, before the, uh, what's, it, what's it called, static, static websites or something like that, I think it is? What's the official term for that? Static websites, what most people call it, yeah. I've also heard just, I mean, the Azure calls it Azure blob storage. Okay, I, I guess I'm just calling it static website, but it's really Azure blob storage. Or, or Azure S3, file storage. Or... S3 buckets, whatever. Yep. Uh, nowadays, if I were to redo some of these apps that are currently in the cloud, um, they were containerized because I had a ton of other things that were also containerized. And I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole yet. Cause I think that's another discussion we can have today. Yep, yep. But the reason I went with that approach was because I already had all these other containers and it just made sense. I wanted to orchestrate everything together through one kind of mechanism. But I think if I had not gone with this container route, which we can get into, you know, maybe next or something, I think I would have gone exactly with what you said, is let's just go ahead and put them up in a, a bucket or a blob storage. You know, one of the things, and we let's talk, we will talk about the server in a moment too, but one of the things I want to get into a little is if we just focus on the front end, there's a lot of ways we can serve it. And Before we finish that thought, let's take a quick break from a word from our sponsors. Are you building a web application? Need to deliver it soon and don't have the people to do it? Maybe you're not sure your company has the skill set or experience to do it. And maybe we can help. I'm your host, Ward Bell, and my day job is building applications for companies like yours. I don't do it alone. I'm president of IdeaBlade, a consultancy that specializes in enterprise web application development. We're particularly strong in Angular, RxJS, NGRX Redux on the front end, and .NET Microsoft Technologies on the server. We're a small, tight-knit group of people handpicked by me for their expertise, experience, integrity, and team spirit. Maybe we can help you with architectural guidance and hands-on development. And if there's something we don't know, and in our field, really, there's too much to know, we can draw on our personal connections in the Microsoft RD, MVP, and Google GDE networks, as well as our international circle of really great developers, people we know and trust personally. If you've got a project that's keeping you up at night, shoot us an email at info at ideablade.com. That's info at ideablade.com. And now back to the show. And we're back. And we were just talking about how there's different ways we can serve or host or whatever, you know, just have our, let's say it's Angular React View up in the cloud. If our Angular app needs to talk to a server, and I say if because you could literally just write static content and not have it call any APIs, right? Um, I just did that with some doc sites. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't you like to hard code your apps? People <laughs> yeah, think they're dynamic, yeah. but it's really hard coded, you know? And I don't do that that often, but like when I did my, uh, I did a docs site that I created with a Viewpress for uh, Peacock, the extension for VS Code I wrote. It looks very nice, by the way. Thank you. And it's, it's literally just five pages with a menu and it's all static content. It doesn't need to be on anything expensive. And, you know, it's my own thing. I, I'm willing to pay two cents a month to put it onto storage to some cloud provider. So um, that makes sense. But the minute you need to, then make your UI talk to a server. 
things change a little bit. Yep. And it doesn't mean that you have to go off storage though. So here's an example, something I worked on recently. I had an Angular app, uh, and then I also had a Vue app doing this. They were both doing the same thing. And I literally pushed them to storage, but I needed them to hit an API that talked to a, a cloud database. And I think as first thought in my head was, let's create a node server. Yep. So I still pushed the Angular apps and other apps up to, the, up to storage. And then I created a node server with Express because that's my cup of tea. And I made it like do all the security stuff and everything in the middleware. And then I had it hit my database and, you know, I was used JavaScript and all that stuff worked great. And then I just had my storage, um, what was up in storage in Angular just, you know, made HTTP calls across to my server and I set up cores so it could do it and everything was happy. But then I started thinking, Dan. What were you thinking, John? Tell us. I, I was thinking, you know, I set up this um, node server that I had to host and we're definitely going to get into like containers or not containers or what, but I still needed a server for that. And by making it a server, I had to then look at, do I want to pay for the $20 a month server, the $50 a month server, the $100 a month server? Like what kind of beefy server do I need? Yep. And the problem I had was I don't want to pay any of those. <laughs> right. Especially if it's a free site, you're not making any money off. Right. I'm like, <laughs> well, wait a minute. And the other part was, even if it was like an enterprise type solution, there are times enterprises where I wanted to pay only when it was being used. So I started looking, I'm thinking, boy, it would be great if I could just use serverless. And that's when I said, you know what? Everything I did in the Node Express server, I could actually put over into serverless functions. Yeah. So AWS Lambda, Azure Functions. Yeah. Yep. And I, so I literally got rid of the entire Node server and the need for a, a, an app server, a web server, whatever you want to call it. And instead, I just took the code that I wrote that talked to my database that was informally in Node Express, and I moved that to uh, Azure Functions in my case. And I put up a net in the cloud. And the advantage of that was now I'm paying like two cents a month for storage for the Angular app. And I'm paying a couple of pennies a month to a dollar for the Azure functions because they only charge you, uh, I set up an on-demand because they, they, they call it consumption. Don't you uh, get like a million free or something like that? It's uh, ridiculous, yeah. I mean, It's tons. Yeah. And it's not just Azure. It's, it's Azure, Amazon, any of those. They had these consumption models or on-demand where you only pay for what you're using. And I'm like, you know, this is pretty darn cool. I can now deploy entire websites where I'm effectively serverless. And uh, I'm not the one who invented this by any means. There's tons of people doing this. But uh, it got me out of the mode of thinking only toy apps would do this because I've, as like you, I've been in the enterprise for years. And there's a lot of large apps at companies where, you know, once you deploy a server, I only had one. But what if you had a dev environment and a load environment and a staging environment and a prod environment and a light and dark environment? <laughs> yep. Now you're paying for seven servers when you're barely using them. Yeah, which now, I mean, like you said, now you're, even if it was the, uh, you know, like the low end, it's say 25 bucks a month, you just name like, I don't know, five things. So you're 125 bucks, you know, a month for hardly any use possibly. Now, real quick question on that though, was cold start? an issue because normally with the consumption models if they're not used and you don't set up like a job to keep pinging it which you could do yep would cold start would eventually I, i'm guessing would be an issue though right yeah that, that's a complicated discussion and i think um we talked about that with jeff holland a little bit when he came on our show a couple yep. months ago yeah uh, we're going to bring it up again i've got some folks from some different serverless teams coming on to our podcast i think in september cool. um, we'll talk more deeply about it but just for so in case folks didn't listen to the episode with jeff holland which i definitely recommend. 
It's actually our most listened to episode uh, Jeff, by far. Man, he, yeah, Jeff's awesome. If you haven't listened, you should. He's he phenomenal. Really he knows his stuff. Uh, cold start, what Dan's talking about is like the first time you hit your function, um, the, because you're only paying for when it's being used, eventually the server effectively just spins down and is not used. Well, if Dan goes and hits it and it's not being used, this called a cold start is the time it takes for it to basically spin the server back up that's hosting your functions, which could be, you know, uh, half a second. It could be four seconds. Uh, it depends on a number of factors. So that can be an issue. If you're constantly hitting it and it's going there, not a big deal. It, it's something you really, you have to test with your app structure to see, is this a problem or not? And there's ways you can get rid of that too. I was going to say, you can always set up a timer or something that pings it, right? Yeah. And they also have something called premium uh, functions now. I, it's, yeah. That's my name for it. Uh, I don't know the official yeah. name, but you pay can more pay money. for one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's called the pay, it's P for premium, but it really means pay me more money, man. But the nice thing there, too, is even if you were paying, let's say you're even paying the same amount you're paying for an app server, you're no longer having to manage or maintain the server like you would if you created your own server and deployed it to an app service and had to choose, all right, what operating system do I want? Um, what version of ASP.NET do I want? Uh, is it core? Is it Linux? Uh, and then worry about upgrading that later. So I think serverless and storage are a really good match for this kind of a platform. I totally agree. In fact, I, I remember eh, might have been at one of the conferences we were at. You were you were like, "I'm surprised you haven't done much API stuff." You, I remember you said something about that because um, I haven't with fun. I haven't done functions with pure just APIs. Yeah, uh, I've always viewed functions as more of I want to integrate with other AWS or Google Cloud or Azure services. You know, like for instance, I want to know when Cosmos DB changes so I can fire off a function and that does something. Right, um, which is your you know your bindings, and when you said that um, at the time, I'm like, why would I use it for just APIs? Because I just hadn't really done that much. But now, since you brought that up, it made me think a lot more. Now I'm like, well, it actually makes perfect sense. Because <laughs> like you said, why would you want to set up a whole Node server when you could just put your package JSON as part of your, uh, your you know your function, get your dependency, and uh, get any dependencies you need, and then you're ready to go. And now I just write a simple function that can serve up, you know, my put, my post, my patch. Type yeah, I mean, you could even, if you're really going to get crazy, uh, and this isn't crazy, but you could like set up a function in Azure Functions that its endpoint API hits a database in Amazon uh, and another database in Google Cloud. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, these things are cross-cloud related. So uh, you can write your code to do whatever you want. It's just moving your code from a node server or ASP.NET server or whatever. Um, and having to worry about moving files to a server that you predefine to uh, a serverless platform, which effectively just means somebody's already picked the platform. Now you just write the code, which I like that. Well, and to back up, you know, we started with a static option. There's a lot of static options out there, and that's obviously the easiest, but I think most of us are hitting APIs. So now we're kind of saying, all right, step two possibly could be you could use some type of a serverless uh, what's, well, step three or not step three, option three, let's call it road number yeah. three would be what you started this with, which is I didn't want a node server. So I moved my, uh, what would have been an express and node or whatever you're, you know, happy or whatever you're using. And I moved that to functions. Okay. But what if I do want uh, a node server now, you know, what are some yeah. of the options? Yeah. And even this one, it, let's just say you're doing what I call traditional or classic, uh, 
you know, web development, you've got a server of some kind, Ruby, ASP.NET, Java, Node, whatever, and you have code there for it. Well, you then have to decide, uh, classically, you would do like the XCopy deployment, right? Uh, where you just take the files and you move them to a server somewhere that you set up. And it could be a VM in the cloud, even a uh, virtual machine. But doing that, the big problem that always comes up, right, Dan, is I just, I pick a server in the cloud. I tell you I want this operating system and all this other stuff. But now I'm using Node 10.14 on my machine on a Mac and the cloud's running it on Linux, and Dan's running Windows 10, and it runs on my machine, but it doesn't run in Linux in the cloud, and then you get that famous expression, Dan, works on my machine. I love this. I love to say that, by the way. It's frustrating, you know? Oh, and no, it's not. It for it's not frustrating. If it works on your machine, it's not frustrating. You're just like, <laughs> yeah. no, dude, it works on my machine. This Can is we your just problem. put my Mac in the cloud? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what they say, right? It's, it's not no cloud. It's just someone else's uh, Mac. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a pain because you're just and you're really just copying your files up. Um, I've heard people call it loose files, X copy deploy, uh, even like the GitHub deploy model, which this isn't GitHub's um, problem. It's that a lot of us think and I do this, too. I want to take my Node Express app or whatever it is. I want to hook it to GitHub. And whenever I push to master, make a PR to it, I want that to then send the files over to a cloud server by any platform and have it host them. Yep. But what we're all forgetting is that there's often a build process too. So if I take my Git files and push them to GitHub and then whether it's ASP.NET or Node or whatever, somebody has to build that thing. GitHub ain't building it. Is your cloud server, your destination server building it? Well, what if that destination server is running Linux and it doesn't work on Linux, but you didn't know that because you're running Windows? Mm -hmm. uh, so then do you need an intermediary build server? Does that mean you have to get into DevOps? I mean, there's complications here, I guess, is, is what got me into the hall. Uh, and I used to work for some big companies, as you know, Dan. Um, yep. And this happened a lot. And it was painful. It happens all. I, I'm at a company this week. I'm... Right now, I'm, what am I, John, 45 minutes south of you? Yep. Something like that. So we're, this is actually the closest I've ever been to do a podcast. But It's the first time I've been above you. <laughs> <laughs> Dan's like eight feet tall, guys. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Uh, so I'm at a company this week, and I just joked today as I'm doing an Azure for Developers course, a new thing that my company put together. And we're doing this for this group. There's about 24 people from this company. And I, I kind of jokingly said this morning when we started, uh, we started talking about Azure Web Apps. And I said, you know, how many have had that problem where, and I knew everybody's going to raise their hand. This is one of those like rhetorical questions, you know, mm -hmm. of, hey, John, have you ever had it where it worked in dev, but you move it to, you know, test or QA and it didn't work? And, you know, of course, everyone laughs because if you haven't hit that, you haven't probably done real development, I'm going to call it. Yeah. Um, and it's exactly what you said, which... As a, I'll, I'll let you kind of drive where you want to go next, but that's where containers can be nice. I'm not saying it's the only option, but that could be an option. So, Yeah, we keep hinting at containers. And before we get there, let's definitely go full circle on the loose files approach because there's a couple of ways uh, we can do this. Like step one, I'll just list a couple of them. You're, you're working locally and you run either in the terminal or you right-click in whatever editor you're using, Visual Studio, IntelliJ, WebStorm, VS Code, whatever. Uh, or you just go to the terminal and you literally just run a command that grabs your, your folder 
and uploads it, all your files, to a server directly. Um, people joke that's called the right-click deploy, right? Yep. <laughs> and they're like, friends don't let friends right-click deploy. Because um, you're going right to production. And there's a lot of downsides to that. The, one of the biggest ones being you're going right to a server and you know, you're the only one doing it. And where are your tests? Where are your gates? But you can do that. In that scenario, though, one of the big problems, again, is who's building it? Do you build your project locally and then send the, the public distributed folders up there, like your built stuff? I hope not. If you do that, you're sending up something that was built on whatever your OS is and your platform to something that's probably different. Or do you do the other thing? Step two, you don't build locally. You just say deploy. And you copy your files up and then your destination server builds it, which means your destination has to run a build every time before you, when you're doing it, which takes it longer. Or step three, you go to GitHub and then you have GitHub push it to there and then push it to your cloud server. Or step four, you go to GitHub and have it pushed to a CI server and the CI server does the build and pushes it to the cloud. It, it gets messy, doesn't it? I was just going to say, it's a good thing there's not many choices. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is why this is called 101 ways to... Kill yourself basically by doing deployment. Yeah, it, it it is it's and it's one of those things that's very subjective. I, I guarantee right now, just while you were saying that, I guarantee somebody sitting in the car, on the bus, on a plane, whatever, listen to the podcast going, Well, you should have mentioned this, and I guarantee we could think of more. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, and the way I like to set up the container talk, and I'll let you you kick into that, is this. When you're building your app. What do you do if a new developer comes on the team and they have to build it? Yep. You write down something in an email and say, Dan, you just joined my team. You need to install this version of Node on this operating system with this editor. Um, and you, I want you to run these NPM commands and then files end up in this folder. And then you press this button to make it run. Right? Yep. Whatever well, those that, steps are. And that's just for one running process. What yeah. happens, multiply that times I have 20 whether you call them microservices or APIs or whatever you call them. Oh, yeah. Um, you need that database, too. I totally forgot about and, that. And, and I need Redis because we're caching. And, yeah. Exactly. And what happens is we end up going this back and forth email where it takes Dan two weeks just to get started at the job, right? Um, and you, if any of you start a new job or do consulting, you probably know this. You have this expected couple of weeks just to get the darn app working. And what really happens is, whether it's through email or somebody, you know, they, we always feel proud when we write a doc that explains everything you need to do to set it up. Why, why can't we just take that doc and those steps and automate that? I'm with you. So that leads us to containers, right? Yeah, well, it could. It could. Um, so let me lead in with this. So the exact scenario John just described, um, there's, there was a company I uh, didn't actually do a lot of work with them, but I had some friends there, and they just pulled me in for a couple sessions. Wait, you have friends? Not very many. I thought but, I was your only uh, friend. No, <laughs> not even you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> no, Slap. you and Ward are, of course, my best friends. But they uh, had, I think it at the time, I think it was 22 what they called, you know, microservices. Now, whether, you know, microservices is a very uh, loaded term these days. Yeah. But let's just say it was. And the uh, question came up, um, first off, how to get multiple going. And they ended up going the Docker route, which we'll, we'll start talking about containers here. But then they ran into a problem with they had so many containers running that the laptop actually couldn't run everything. <laughs> so that's a whole new challenge you'd have to solve. But 
to get back to, and let's take a step back here. So what John just described is you have a bunch of things you got to run. It could be databases, caching servers. Uh, if it's if it's a microservice environment, literally it could be different technologies. It's not necessarily just Node. You know, it could be one team's doing uh, Java, one team's doing Node, one team's doing ASP.NET Core, and you know people probably laugh at that. And go, oh, we would never do that. Oh, you'd be surprised at big <laughs> at big companies that oh, happen yeah. all all the time, because every team you know has their opinion. Well, now I'd have to install, just based on what we said, John, you'd have to install, let's say you're the new hire or the contractor coming in. Uh, you got to have the right version of Node. You'd have to have .NET Core, right version. Let's assume it's Core and not .NET Framework, because if it's .NET Framework, that's a whole new challenge, because that's only on Windows. Uh, Java, you'd have to have the right uh, JDK or whatever the official term is these days. It's been a while since I've done much Java. Ruby, you name it. Then you got your database, right? And your security, and you got a caching server, and anyway, you see where this is going here. Yep. So yeah, um, so as John knows, I'm a huge fan of containers, and um, think of it this way: you just described John uh, deploying code, the right-click deploy, and then kind of hoping. Let's say you don't go to production, but you go to like a QA environment through that. Well, we're, that QA environment still has to run whatever it is you deployed, and Again, like you said, you're on Mac or you're on Windows or vice versa, but the maybe the production server is Linux. You still got to worry about that. Um, and that's the whole works on my machine. Because I think in the old days, it was as simple as just, I used to use, uh, you might have used this too, John, WSFTP. Do you remember that? Yes. Uh, it dates us a little bit. I'm, yeah, just an FTP like, tool, that's all. Yeah. I, it, you know, I'm only about 28, by the way, just so everybody <laughs> knows. Um, Decades. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> but anyway, uh, hopefully means I'm wise, but my wife assures me I'm not. But anyway, um, the uh, process of moving that, it's not just code these days, right? You have, let's just name a few things. What do you got, John? You got environment variables, possibly? Yeah. Uh, some security settings, possibly? Multiple databases, multiple web APIs. Um, you got all sorts of stuff. The environment is a big one, right? Because that's your configuration. Yep. And so even if you had those local, it's not going to work remote. Somebody still has to put it on that, that QA server, right? Oh, you just, you just build it again, right? Is that what you, you do? You build it from scratch every, <laughs> for every single person who's running it in every single place? Right. No. Anyway, everybody gets the idea. So the idea with containers is if you've ever seen, um, I had a neighbor they were way down the street, so I never met them. But I, I saw, uh, <laughs> but they're a neighbor, you know? You're like, we thought you were going to talk about somebody you liked. And you're like, nah, no, I don't really like them. I don't even know them. They were down by the park. I never There's met them. There's these people but... who happen to sit, live in the same city as me. That's all. Yeah, right. Pretty much. <laughs> anyway, it's kind of sad. Back in, man, when I was, I'm going to totally digress here. When I was a kid, man, we knew all our neighbors. Yeah, and I know. now it's just not the same. But anyway, uh, so they had those, uh, you know how you can order those pod things? that they kind of drop that metal container on your front driveway. Have you ever seen those? And then you, uh, you load up. Oh, like a storage container? Yeah. And then okay. they'll, I, I guess I've never done it, but I guess then you say where it gets shipped to and they'll drop it in your next oh, house or okay. whatever. Yeah. I haven't done um, that. <laughs> it's kind of like the shipping containers you've seen, but they'll actually drop it on your front like driveway and you load it up and then they'll haul it off. So it's like a U-Haul with no wheels on it. They haul it off. But anyway, that's the idea of a container because obviously if you're going to move houses or apartments, you, it's not like you can just take the code. 
we'll pretend the code is like your furniture. You know, there's more to it. I mean, you're definitely going to take the light fixtures, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, I've seen people do that, by the way. <laughs> they sell their house and they strip everything. I'm thinking of the Grinch right now. You know, the house yeah, Christmas. And he's like taking like the light bulbs and the wires. Yep. And that's Dan. You're a mean <laughs> one, Mr. Grinch. But anyway, uh, I'm, and by the way, uh, I'm like really tired right now because I'm three hour time different. So I'm a little loopy and that's where this is probably going. Yeah, Dan's from, being but- fun today. I am being a little, I'm not on anything. I promise I'm on lack that you're not normally, but Hey, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Hi folks. Ward Bell here. I'd like to tell you about a wonderful tech conference coming up in Las Vegas in November. Dev intersection. Dev intersection is for web application developers, uh, especially those of you working at the intersection of Microsoft and angular technologies. John, Dan, and I will be speaking there. So are a lot of bright, thoughtful, and really friendly speakers who know their stuff and who really want to meet you. The talks are great. The workshops are killer. John and Dan have a great workshop on Angular. But the conversations you'll have in the hallways, lunchroom, and after-hours events with speakers and fellow attendees, those conversations are gold. They're why you need to go to a conference and not just watch one on TV. So join us at Dev Intersection, November 18th through 20th in Las Vegas, Nevada. Learn more and register at www.devintersection.com. And if you register with my code, Bell, B-E-L-L, you could get a discount. See you there. And we're back. And we were just talking about how Dan can't contain his excitement for containers. (laughs) I'm so excited. (laughs) So to wrap this up, because this got way too long. Sorry, my bad. Uh, in essence, everything I need for that service, let's just call it, it could be the web app, it could be the API, it could be the, uh, angular react view app, you know, whatever it is can be containerized. And that includes environment variables, security settings, your code, the server, the actual server. So for instance, I could have node, uh, I think 10, 16, one as of today is the latest. Or maybe I want to run the current 12. I don't know what the current 12 is, 12 something um, today. So literally I would package that up, which is kind of like saying, you know, you load your house, all your furniture into this pod. And then wherever you say to ship it, well, wherever they drop that pod, you get the exact same stuff. And so everything John would need, you know, you would put into the container and ship it off. Well, where the payoff comes is first off, it doesn't just run on my machine. It runs on John's machine because we make what's called an image, which has these, uh, the furniture, if you will. Everything you need for the, the new house, we'll say, is in that. And now that means I could containerize anything. Uh, a database, a Redis uh, server, uh, Node, PHP, Java, you know, you name it. And th- this is what I my company does uh, currently. And a lot of companies are moving this direction because uh, it's just when you have a lot of moving parts, it's really hard for me. Let's say, John, you're in charge of the DevOps side. And it's really hard for us to stay in sync, right? Yep. Uh, because, you know, what happens, like you said, I'm on a Mac and I'm on 10.16.1. But for some reason, they thought current node meant the stable node. <laughs> yeah, and something could break with different versions. And Yep. You know, if I was... Go- Let's forget containers for a minute. If I was going to start on a project... 
and I wanted other people on my team to run the same thing, and I wanted it to run the same in the cloud, I literally would write down all the steps of the things I need, my services, my operating systems, what version of Node, uh, my URLs to my uh, databases or things like that, right? Mm-hmm. I'd write them all down and say, this is everything we need when we run this. Well, what I like about containers is it's just automating that list. All that goes into a Docker file. And then Docker is just a program we run, which runs through that list and sets it up. And I could be running Mac, but I'm, I'm actually running Linux in my container. Dan can run Windows and run Linux in his container, for example. And it's, a, it's beautiful because it completely takes away the problem that we've had for decades, which is it works on my machine. To me, that was the light bulb with containers that went on for me. If I was like, you know, why would I do this? I thought the same when I first got into it. So I think Docker as of today is about six-ish years old. And I was a little late. I'd, I've been doing about five years. So I missed out on a year of fun, I guess. But I've been doing it long enough to know what works and what doesn't. And the biggest thing is what you just said is the light bulb for me was when I first saw it, it felt very DevOpsy, And I'm like, I don't, you know, that's not me. I, I'm not a DevOps guy or IT admin or whatever you call them at your company. Um, and so I didn't, I was like, I don't really need this for me. What really kicked it off was what we started talking about earlier is if, if I'm a a new hire or, uh, you know, I'm a contractor. So for me, I'm always thinking in the contractor mindset, how long does it take me to get up to speed on that project? And like you were joking, it could be days, it could be weeks, (laughs) you know, it depends on what the requirements are. Yeah. It's been like that for me before. Yeah. And with, Something like containers, specifically with Docker, uh, they have Docker Compose, which is used typically locally or possibly on a build server, but let's let's speak to locally. I could give John this Docker Compose file, it's called, that has, let's just call it links, sort of, uh, to these things called Docker images, which would be up in something called Docker Hub or uh, AWS has a hub and uh, Azure and Google Cloud all have these. He then runs one command, which is Docker Compose build. Um, and that would build his local copies if he needed to do that. Or I might even supply him with some pre-built images that are ready to go. Like, for instance, maybe, John, you're doing the web app, the API, but the microservices behind some of that, that you, like your API calls some other APIs, you know, for example. Maybe I've already built that out. Well, with one command, which is Docker Compose up, he literally, in the time it takes to pull down the images, because he would have to get those on his machine, could be up and running with those. Now, I think real quick to back up, John, you know, we started with static files, right? And I think if you just have static files with an API, going the full container route, unless you have another good reason to do it, is probably overkill. Because, you know, if you're just doing Node, it's pretty easy to communicate the version, I think of you know what node we're using and we just make sure we're on that but now what we're talking about is these more robust applications that it's not only your uh, static files and just maybe a simple api that's being called it's a whole bunch of stuff now databases that one's debatable it's very subjective on do you containerize like databases i do uh, because i like to be able to swap out a version anytime i want very easily but at the same time, uh, like if you have a DBA at work that's not into that, I don't think that, you know, until the DBAs are on, on board, if that's what you have at work, 
probably not worth that battle unless they buy into it. So in that case, you know, you may not containerize the database, but you still might containerize all these services. So anyway, I think there's different degrees of this. Keep it simple first. But when you start having the problem that, you know, we've been talking about, John, I think containers could be an option. Are they the option? No, I don't think there is a the option, right? Yeah, let me throw out one more option too in this with containers and that, that I like is uh, I've worked at places where they have a DevOps server. And let's say you're deploying 50 apps. It could even be five apps, doesn't matter. And they're all running Node, all running ASP.NET, whatever. So you install the version of, let's say, Node on that DevOps server. So they're all building with the same version of Node. Let's say you're saying everyone's going to consistently use 10.12, just picking a number. Well, what happens if that DevOps server changes the version of Node? Some of those builds might fail now. So they have to be locked into it. And then now what happens if it's a couple years down the road and now you're on Node 18, right? You can't use Node 18 because those apps that were written with Node 10.12 may not work anymore if you build yep. them with that. Yep. So if you have a CI server, a, a DevOps server that's running these things and it's locked to a version, you're in trouble. This is where Docker helps in CI as well because now a CI, the CI server can run whatever it wants. It just says, go build your container and your con my container can use node 10, yours could use node 12, someone else could use node zero. <laughs> doesn't matter, right? It, absolutely. Well, and you know, the cool thing there, and I think to me, this is a, like a perfect example where you could always use containers. And that is if you're actually building code, whether it's like an Angular build, for example, yes. you know, you're doing yeah. an NG build. Why would you want to install the specific version of Node on the build server and then the Angular CLI or you know, React or Vue or whatever you're doing? Why not just have the build server have like nothing on it really, except for you know whatever the build server software is? And then the actual build is done with a container. And even if you're not using containers in production, wouldn't matter. You could just do your build in the container. Or another good example, let's say you're using like uh, Cypress. Well, you could pop up your app in a containerized world before it goes to production, run your Cypress integration type tests, uh, and then when you're done, just kill off those containers. Now the admins of those servers, you never have to query them and be like, hey, John, how come, like, how long is it going to take to get node 18 on the server? You know, and they're like, oh, well, sorry, we'll get to it. <laughs> we'll get there. So Dan, we got Docker now. We're talking about Docker and deploying to the cloud with it. Uh, it still means we need a web server, which means you're going to have to pay for a web server somewhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, which is fine. I mean, if you're going to have a server, we're not saying like, I wouldn't compare Docker to static websites, no. different animals. Yeah. But if you need a server, I think it really gets down to, to deploy your, your Angular View React app. Uh, do you build it with Docker or do you just do like an XCopy deploy with, without Docker, the traditional way? To me, it's Docker every time. I really don't see a reason not to use Docker if I need a server these days. Uh, how about you? Yeah, and so here's where I, I totally agree with you. Here's my ask. You seem so, like you're hedging. You don't seem like you totally agree. I am gonna, I'm very hurt. I, no, I, I totally <laughs> agree with you, but I know there's also reality at companies. Um, the biggest mistakes I have seen. So I first off, yes, I agree. Second off, yes, I agree, but if the IT admin, DevOps, whatever they're called at your job, um, does not have the, let's just call it prerequisite background, 
oh yeah, yeah. containers and all that the only reason i kind of hedge there is because i've seen people jump into it and it's almost like a you know when you turn down a street you don't know and you realize oh shoot it's a dead end street right and you get to the end and you make a you know u-turn around and i've I've actually seen some companies do that, and it's not because of Docker was a problem. It's because they realized, oh, shoot, we don't know what we're doing. Well, it's new. Yeah, I mean, their culture's been doing it for a while, and there's thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of companies who haven't yet jumped into containers. So if you haven't used containers yet and you're listening to this, it's okay. Yeah. There's a lot of people there's in the same boat. of people that haven't. Yeah. So and, I and agree with you. that's my caveat. No, I, I totally agree with your perspective there, um, I was saying it more from perspective of if you had to choose where to go, I would definitely choose containerizing. Yeah. But that assumes that you have the ability or the influence at your company to, you know, get everything ready and make sure everybody understands how to use it and get your processes in place. Um, once it's there, though, it to me, it's just so much better than any other deployment environment I've ever used. Well, and and uh, all our stuff, if you, not to self-plug, because I'm not selling anything really on this site, but well, I guess if you go there, you can buy training, but uh, codewithdan.com. That's, nobody can spell walleenconsulting.com. So I, both of those work. Yeah, I don't even know how to spell your name. I know. <laughs> no, you can't even say it. And I've known you for like a gazillion years. But anyway, no, John does say it right. <laughs> He's one of the few people that can say it right. But anyway, uh, originally I was doing, just to give a real life example, um, for the blog, I was doing a hosted WordPress on a, I'll just say a site. And I was having really, like every time I would go to the, uh, log into the admin side of WordPress, I would get these, I'd write a post or something. And when I go to save, it was so bad that before I went to save, I would do a, you know, control C on the whole content and then save. Because sometimes, for some reason, the stupid database connection, I think it was hitting MariaDB or Mariah, whatever you call it, DB. Um, my, Mariah Carey DB. Mariah Carey is what's in my head right now, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Maria, I think it is, uh, DB, you would, uh, I, I would time out. And so finally, I'm like, okay, this is freaking ridiculous. Here's the second reason. Um, I only had this hosted WordPress. And if you've ever used any of the, you know, blogging engines out there, they have all these plugins you can do. And so I'd experiment with a few plugins, of course, live in production, because that's the only environment I had, right? It's hosted. Um, and guess what would happen sometimes? What would happen, Dan? <laughs> Let me tell you, John, it would break. Shock, really? It literally would uh, break. And then I just had, you know, it wasn't a big deal. I just resort to a backup, but it's like, okay, this is freaking ridiculous. That's actually five years ago why I first got into containers because I had no way to emulate this production environment locally and try out these plugins. I want. I was experimenting with some SEO stuff, you know, and it turns out, you know, you'd never figure this, John. There's some good plugins and there's some bad plugins. <laughs> I bet. And anyway, long story short, that's why I got into it. And so now um, everything's containerized on that. So I still have the same setup. I am using WordPress with uh, a database there, but they're both containerized and I can get my exact environment running locally. Now let's get back. That's not even uh, front end stuff. That's PHP, which I'm not, not my favorite of all technologies, but it works. So, yeah, I think, you know, coming full circle, we talk about 101 ways to host your web app. We probably mentioned about a dozen uh, variations today to me. I'd like to wrap up with kind of talking about recommendations. Like Dan and I have our own opinions on how to do this stuff. 
For me, I really feel like if you're just hosting something that's front-end related, I definitely start with a static approach these days because it's cheap and it's fast. And I start from there and go, okay, can I run my front-end, whatever it happens to be, in static storage? And then I also look at, for the back-end, do I need serverless? Do I need uh, a node server or whatever type of server I need? Uh, if I do that, I either choose serverless technology or and or, because I can use both, a, a Docker container running node. So to me, the, the break-even there for, for me is when I go to a node server versus just running a static site with um, serverless, is I need more than just a couple of functions. If I need a lot of logic on the server doing a lot of processing, and I want to control that environment, and I want it always on, I'm kind of at that point feeling like I want more control, that's my node server. If I just need the APIs in the cloud, and it's really just I need something to talk between my front-end app and a back-end somewhere, uh, serverless does a great job at that. So that's my opinion on this stuff. Dan, what's your, what's your final thoughts on this? So I would totally agree. Um, I, you know, uh, I just did a thing in Denver with a group where we talked through this a little bit. And and you were at Angular Denver, right? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was fun. I like going to, that's a pretty place. Uh, I never have time to go to the mountains, but it's a pretty place. Um, but anyway, we were kind of discussing this to wrap up a, a workshop thing I was doing there. And the question came up, um, well, why would I, we, we were talking about containers, by the way, and I'm going to throw one more we didn't talk about, which is CDNs. Oh, yeah. Uh, in, uh, because I just realized we didn't talk about CDNs. Content delivery networks, right? Yes. Um, so real quick before I, so first off, I totally agree. But I'm going to throw out that if you need that kind of geo-replicated front-end static website. That's a big right? word, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> then I think uh, CDNs are a great way to go. So if you're building like a front-end app and it's, you know, whether it's static HTML or React or Angular or Vue or something like that, um, then uh, CDN's a great way to go. Now, I think a CDN's probably overkill if you're just, you know, a little kind of either tinker app or it, you don't need the uh, geo replication, you know, because there's a lot of caching benefits to CDNs, regionality for and protection against uh, DDoS denial of DDoS. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. there's all kinds of benefits because now you know, basically, in essence, with a CDN, if you're if you're new to it at all, um, you're it's kind of like your app is being cached across the world, you know, and that's yep. pretty compelling. So anyway, to get back to what you were saying, though, I totally agree with that, where I think then to move to the next logical step, because I think what you said was keep it simple until it's not, <laughs> Yep. And, and then kind of move to the next step, but still keep it simple. I don't jump to containers first. That's my first advice. I love containers, but it's definitely not my first thing. Right tool for the right job, John hears me say like every time we talk, um, but if now you're having a problem, for instance, the devs on your team can't get all the stuff up and running very easily to test it or even run the code there, you know, running, then I think that's first off a good example where containers might be used. Even if you weren't using containers in production, I think they have value for local development when you need to emulate an entire environment like on my, you know, on my Mac or my Windows or my Linux box or something. Okay, then as John already said, I think containers definitely have a role for build servers um, because now anytime the build server needs to be updated, we just swap out the image and we have a new build server. It's pretty simple. 
Um, and then of course, if you want to go the full route, you might end up running containers uh, up in, well, in the cloud or maybe on-prem. Now, to throw the last piece in there, now, now we're on the way more complex spectrum, I would argue, because if all those containers need to be what we call orchestrated, you know, now you're looking at something like possibly Kubernetes. And that's a whole whoa, 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 whoa. other. Those are big words. We're yeah, not going to talk right. about Kubernetes today, though. That's no, a whole other not. episode. <laughs> no, we're not. But that would be the most complex, yeah. I would say, option is where we'd end it. Yeah, and I want to leave everybody with a, a simple note, too. All this stuff is, is good advice to think about and consider what's best for your place. Um, Dan and I are giving you our experience and what our thoughts are. Uh, but there's the keep it simple is the best thing you can do for your own sanity, too. And that's why I like to start with things like you can use tools like Zeitz now or Netlify or um, Amplify from AWS or Azure's got AZ Web App Up or right click from VS Code extensions. You can use all these things that get your web app to a cloud in less than a minute. All these platforms have an option to do that. And I think it's great to start there. Uh, and some of those things you can go pretty far with. But I also think there comes a point where maybe it's time to think about, do I need more than this? And that's when some of these other options we talked about really come into play. Yeah. So with all that, I want to thank you, Dan, for uh, this great discussion. I know you and I have talked about this stuff a lot. Um, and all of you listening out there, thanks for listening. If you have questions about this, ping us on Twitter. We do listen and we've lined up. I think, Dan, I've got 19 guests lined up already for the fall. Um, so we've got a lot of interviews coming for the rest of the season. To and give credit where credit's due, John does all the lining up. I just show up. Uh, it's been <laughs> he great. Does all, he does all the hard work. So It's been fun because we have a lot of people who want to come on the show. Um, but Dan and Ward and I are going to do more of these kind of episodes where we just talk as well about topics that you all want to listen to. So we're trying to pick topics we hear a lot about, and Deploying Web Apps is one of those. So we hope you appreciated it, and we hope that you come back and listen to us every Tuesday morning on Real Talk JavaScript. Thanks for listening to Real Talk JavaScript. This show and all of our shows are available at www.realtalkjs.com with links and notes. John and Ward would love to hear what you think, especially about potential guests and topics for future shows. Follow and send them a message on Twitter at RealtalkJS. 